who is this guy? Some people are calling him the first libertarian head of state in the world. This is a massive shift for the Argentinian nation. They're coming off of decades of socialist control, uh, and their economy has just been in a like toilet bowl spiral. And here comes Javier Millet. With a chainsaw. With a chainsaw. This guy is an over-the-top personality. Have you, have you seen his hair? I mean, that his hair is... His hair is amazing. He hates socialism. He ran this campaign with almost zero dollar investment. It seems like people are fed up in Argentina. And I don't know where the line is of how this applies to America. You're saying that he won this election with almost no money, right? Is that what you're Correct. saying? Yeah. Yeah. Also, This is the media. point I keep trying to say. A powerful message beats money every time. Welcome back to the Loopcast. It's Tom joined as always with Erica and Josh. And this is kind of a special Thanksgiving week edition. We are releasing this on Wednesday, maybe for your ride out to uh, your family somewhere. Really wish you all a happy Thanksgiving. We are thankful for all of you. And what many Argentinians are thankful right now is they currently have a new leader. Uh, He was quite a change to the status quo. His name is Javier Millet. And for all of those that have seen hilarious social media clips of him dancing, uh, calling socialists uh, libtards, uh, and just ripping all of the government agencies off of a whiteboard, uh, some might want to know who this guy actually is. And so, Erica, let's do that right now. Who is this guy, Javier <laughs> Millet? Uh, so most recently, he was a congressman in Argentina, kind of a small unknown uh, but before that, he's been many things. He is a libertarian economist. He's been a soccer player, professional soccer player, not quite the level of star that might be pushing it a little bit. He was a rock musician, and he is self-ID'd as a Catholic. We'll get into that in a little bit here. And yeah, like you said, this is a massive shift for the Argentinian nation. They're coming off of decades of the Peronist party. You think of Ava Perón from Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Yes, that Perón. They're coming off of decades of socialist control, uh, and their economy has just been in a like toilet bowl spiral for 10 years. They are at 140% inflation. So when you see your Thanksgiving dinner bill go up 13% <laughs> this year, think of the poor Argentinians. We're talking 140%. That just blows my mind. And there really are sort of the encapsulation of what you would... They're, they're not a third world country. This was one of the most developed countries in South America, but they've just been going backwards at warp speed uh, under the socialist government. And here comes Javier Millet. With a chainsaw. With a chainsaw. This guy is an (laughs) over-the-top personality. He is a walking meme. Have you you seen his hair? I mean, that hair is- His hair is amazing. We thought Donald Trump's hair was cool, but (laughs) this guy's hair is low. Woo! Anyway- He beat out Sergio Massa, who was the Peronist uh, economy minister, uh, 56% to 44%. Yeah, it wasn't even close, really, yeah. This was a blowout. It wasn't even close. They finished, they declared victory. Massa conceded before the polls even closed because it was pretty clear. And like you said, Tom, this guy is libertarian. Some people are calling him the first libertarian head of state in the world because he is a true libertarian. He's promised to slash spending and taxes He's going to adopt the U.S. dollar if Congress lets him. 
He's going to adopt the US dollar as their currency, get rid of the Argentinian coinage, lower taxes, slash regulation. I mean, he's just, yeah, it sounds like what Vivek Ramaswamy wants to do with all the odd social security numbers here and just fire them all. And yeah. shifting public education to voucher uh, system. Love that. Uh, he's very good on abortion, I have to say. Yeah, love that. Vice he's, President is Catholic too. Yeah, she is Catholic. I mean, to be fair, a lot of people in Argentina are That's Catholic. True. You know, yeah, we, we we have an internal Argentinian here at Catholic Vote. So this episode is undergoing extra scrutiny. Shout out to to Daniela. I'm not nervous. <laughs> I'll probably get things wrong. So yeah, uh, <laughs> not, Josh is never nervous. Josh is never nervous. He's never wrong. Um, but yeah, the the one thing that sticks off the the sheet to me, and I saw a video of him basically going up to a whiteboard and saying like, "Yep, if I get in, like this this agency's gone, this agency's gone," and it was so he's planning to go from 18 federal ministries to eight, and it's kind of funny the gut reaction of a lot of people is like, well, you're getting rid of a government agency. Like, why would you do that? That's scary, dangerous, yada, yada, yada. But if you go look at some of the names of these places, I mean, this is a socialist utopia. It reminds me a lot of government agencies in America, but it's almost like that, but worse. Like, I think they had a, a gender ministry. They had like the most pointless ministry of women and diversity right. and inclusion. Yeah. It, it reads like 1984. Yeah. And it's 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 shocking again because you only see government agencies be created. You never see them being taken aback, especially in America. There's always new agencies, and they always stick around for years and years and years. And that's how we get into the problem that we're in. Maybe it requires a chainsaw. Well, the Republican Party here in the United States pushed for uh, abolishing a, a telephone tax that had been enacted in 1898 to fund the Spanish-American War, and so like that was like a pet peeve of Grover Norquist. He's like. <laughs> this was a temporary tax it's been around for 100 years. Let's get rid of it. And they did. They finally got rid of it. It's good. So now, of course, they got new taxes to supplant that. But, you know, there is a point, you know, just like, why are we doing this? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Temporary. There's nothing more permanent than a temporary government program, as Reagan said. The thing with socialism is it only works in never. <laughs> There's this cute, like, uh, Disney skit where it's like the point to all the different countries. And it's like, Countries where socialism doesn't work, and it literally points to every country in the globe. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's against human nature. Well, and he's really made that his tagline. Like he hates socialism. Javier Millet hates communism, and he just he goes on and on about that. He's like, social justice is the most unjust thing that exists. And of course, by social justice, he means like re wealth redistribution, redistribution program. And he's just like, it's robbery, it's taking. And he, and like I said, said over the top personality. I, Erica, yeah, I can't repeat he said. He said, he said it was against the 10th commandment. Ten commandments. The tenth, and therefore yep. a sin. It's and, true. It's uh, true. You would think that a, a Catholic uh, leader of Argentina would be exciting to Pope Francis as he is Argentinian as well. Pope Francis is a noted critic of uh, Malay, which, again, character-wise, who knows? But it, it does seem interesting. Uh, the prospects of him doing what's necessary in Argentina seem likely. Uh, he's going up against uh, a Congress that he has no support in, really. So it's interesting to see how he's going to be able to pull it off. But uh, layers and layers of corruption. But like when it comes to social justice, it's it's not as the church has traditionally understood it in our, our teachings. Like, let's make sure we have policies that are beneficial to the general population, not just a narrow few that have political power, you know, and it's morphed 
into this disgusting display of socialism, which... Yeah, give, give a brass tacks quick description of socialism. The biggest problem with socialism, what it does is it, it tries to control the means of production. And it, it tries to nationalize industries like energy and steel and all this kind of stuff. And it says it should be owned by the general population. Everyone should own it, which means no one owns it, which means the government owns it. And there's, there's uh, the biggest problem that socialism has. There's two big problems. Number one, you sap creative energy because the government's running everything. And so what's the incentive for you to work harder? You don't, if you work twice as hard as the guy next to you, you still get the same amount of stuff. So everyone has an incentive of going slower and not working as hard. In a free market, you have that incentive to work harder. And because like, if I work, you know, a little bit more, I can earn more money for my family. And socialism at that, you don't get that incentive. That's the, that's not one problem. The second problem is, the reason why centralized economies fundamentally cannot work is because you don't have pricing. There's no understanding of how much things should cost, how much effort should be. Whereas if you have an economy that's based on truly on demand, what people actually want, where they're freely allowed to buy things, then you're able to say, how many TVs should we produce this year? How many coffee mugs? How much you know food? How much tourism? All this stuff. It, then the people decide based on their situation, maybe I'm going to work a little bit harder because I want to go on more vacations or I'm not as worried about that. You know, this, the centralized economy, socialist economy is a total, that's why ultimately in the Soviet Union, it, the, after 70 years, it just, it, it crumbled because they would have trainfuls of wheat rotting miles just outside of Moscow and people in Moscow starving to death because you had smashed all the normal incentives that people would have. Like I need to take care of me and my family mm-hmm. and I want to work harder. It's all gone in socialism. Yeah, it incentivizes incompetency. And then over the generations that just compounds. But I think to add to that, so that's that's the sort of economic brass tax and issue with socialism. But compounding that and even I would say even driving the eventual breakdown of socialist countries is that accompanying cultural Marxism that we see, that it's not just that the state is controlling means of production, but that the state, in order to do so, wants to control every aspect of human life. And that includes what you can teach your children. That includes what you can believe. Exactly. And so I think that Millet not only wants to take the chainsaw to that, but you know, some people will say, okay, well, libertarianism is just uh, financial, like, or fiscal conservatism. And what is that? Cultural, social, liber- libertarianism, liberalism, right? That it's left wing on social issues, con- right wing on economics. That's what libertarian, right? Right. And I, th- I think there's different schools of libertarian thought, but that's not exactly how Malay ran his campaign. He's also very much, you know, against the LGBT agenda and he's against the government controlling education. So he's against abortion, he said. He's against abortion. abortion. Which is not a traditional thing you think of with like libertarians. I think I think the reason he said though is because of science. He's like science proves that life begins at conception. It's not a religious thing necessarily the way he talks about it. There are pro life libertarians, which we welcome. Mm -hmm. So you know some people have to pay for uh, college classes, college credits, and you just gave a socialism class in two minutes. So uh, if you're grateful you're for welcome. that, 
Awesome. Uh, but one week of college, you see my new swag here with the check it out. Mary. University of Mary. How was Were your you visit? Josh? You Mary? Yes, I hey. did. I took my daughter out there to visit the campus of Bismarck. Uh, wide open skies there in North Dakota. Beautiful place. Got to see. By the way, I got to see Monsignor Shea, who's been in Edify videos before, and he gave me a copy of his book, which I I've already read this one, but I wanted to have my own copy for the you know from a library. It's from Christendom to Apostolic Mission. The whole point of this book came out a couple of years ago is that we're no longer in Christendom. We're now in a stage where we have to come back and be more like the first century uh, Christians in an apostolic age. And so I'm looking, I, I'm, I, I read that one. I loved it. It's a great book. I recommend it to everybody. And then he just announced he's got a new book. It's coming out this week. I got <laughs> it before it went public. This one is called The Religion of the Day. And this totally... Obviously, he's cribbing for me, right? Yeah, Listen to this. he's I've been, been listening this. to Loopcast. <laughs> I've been saying this for uh, like three years. So listen to what he on the back here. This I perfect. He said, "This is Monsignor uh, James Shea. He's the president of University of Mary, right?" He says, "We are living in a highly religious age." Uh, I like that counter to it, like right? Mercer. <laughs> Secular gospels and dogmatic faiths promising salvation are all around us. So what is the belief system, the religious vision that is displacing Christianity as the assumed narrative by which our post-Christian modern societies live? And what is the religion that we ourselves need to be converted out of if we are to be fully converted to the Christian faith? So I'm looking forward to this guy, this book. So You Mary, I don't even think they're they're paying for this promo. You Mary, send us some swag. I'll, I'll wear <laughs> a sweatshirt. I want swag. I got Listen, five more guys, kids coming down the You know, pipe. do you remember, see- this is before you were born, Tom, but you're from Michigan, so you should know your history. Tim okay. uh, Tim Allen on Home Improvement would always wear a different swag for every show, and he put all the different colleges and universities inside Michigan, you know, because he was uh, from Michigan, Detroit. Man. Yep. Right. And so one one episode he wore Hillsdale College, and I was at, at I was attending college at the time, so, you know, we all... He's going to wear it. It's, it's coming up on this Thursday episode, and we all watched it, and everyone went bananas. It was really... <laughs> That's so, awesome, no, man. I didn't get paid to wear this, but- uh, You hey. should be. You, you look so good, you should be getting paid to wear that. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> moving on from you, Mary Swag. Uh, so the, the interesting, most, one of the most interesting elements of the campaign was that he ran this campaign with almost $0 investment. So mm-hmm. any questions about this being some type of like plant, industry plant, or whatever- it seems like people are fed up in Argentina, and I don't know where the line is of how this applies to America, but this seems like such an organic grassroots movement. You're saying that he won this election with almost no money, right? Is that what you're Correct. saying? Yeah. Yeah. Also, This is the media. point I keep trying to say, as a powerful message beats money every time. Donald Trump had hardly any money in 2016, and he won. Okay? He had a lot of money in 2020. Campaign and did not funds. Win. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's he had I mean. money. He didn't spend it though. He, didn't uh, spend he had that a small much. loan of one million dollars from his dad. Yeah, he did not really spend that much money at all. Wow, that's from startup. <laughs> but like, and then like in Ohio, the other the other side had a ton of money, and we didn't have as much money. But we did not have that powerful message that could break through. And I'm not blaming anybody, but like this is my point. Everyone complains about big money politics. The left likes to complain about the most, and yet they're the ones that have a lot more big money. But it's true. Big money alone will not win it the day. You a, a great message can beat big money. Yeah, I mean, I think he tapped into 
that sort of just simmering anger and sense of being fed up that's inhabiting so much of the West right now, also obviously Argentina, and just that feeling that the elite overlords are so out of touch, they no longer really care, um, or and they're not held accountable by any overriding morality anymore either. Like the the total loss of Christendom, as Monsignor Shea talks about in his book, um, there's there's no moral compass for people who are in power. And I think there's he no solidarity between the elite right. and those yeah. who they rule over. See, that's the difference. We'll always have elites. Every society will always have elites. The, the point is, is there a sense of obligation to the people you are expected to be ruling over, right? I mean, obviously, we're not subjects of a king anyway. We're independent citizens, and we elect people to office. But the, still, the idea is, if you're a powerful senator, you know, or you're running some big bureaucratic agency, you're the secretary of transportation or whatever, there still should be the sense that you are serving the public, not ruling them. And we've lost touch of that. Yeah, I've also it's been interesting to observe people kind of get the like the bat signal to turn on Biden. I've seen a lot of very public people now saying, uh, New York, like <laughs> this is gonna be dumb, but Cardi B came out who was big supporter of Biden in 2020. And she's like, We just got a hundred million dollar budget cut from New York City. But Biden's up here saying we can fund two wards. Like we're not going to say like we're in a in a problematic place right now. Cardi B, like her America's Michael Rappaport, political north star. Ex- her, exactly. But but <laughs> I, some people are like wow, people are finally coming around. But I, it seems more to me like okay, the memo's been put out. Biden's eighty one. They're ready to sunset him as they should. I mean, it's total elder abuse. What's going on right now? He's falling asleep during meetings with foreign nationals. I guess a broader question. Uh, as we can wrap up the Malay segment, he clearly had a message that resonated with Argentina. Maybe it was the country being ready to hear the chainsaw message. Uh, is there is there something in this that American politicians, because I, I think we have a lot of the same concerns about us becoming a bureaucratic, you know, quasi-socialist nation uh, as we see inflation's been up like crazy, uh, everyone's seeing higher prices, but people, I think more broadly are concerned with bureaucratic control of their everyday lives. And that's where libertarians really shine. So is what you said, Josh, that in 2016, Trump, in terms of campaign finance, didn't have that much. 2020 had a lot and lost. So if you were to say, give someone advice for 2024, what's the chainsaw message that they could take away to make a real The thing we have to remember is that, I mean, the American people, if you look over the last, you know, 20, uh, 20 years in all the different elections are very restless. And it's easy to get American voters to say no. And so if you look at, you know, 2006, that's, that's you know, Americans saying no to the disaster in Iraq and then saying it again in 2008. And then Obama gets in and then two years later, 2010, they're like, no, we don't want this health care. Well, you're going to get it anyway. And then 2012, it's like, Americans are like, I wish I could say no to both sides. You know, Romney, I mean, this guy's terrible. And Obama, ah. And so, you know, you had a situation where election after election, the 2016, I mean, if that wasn't a no election, give me a break. It's like, you, wait, Hillary Clinton, you know, she was first lady under our president and, and basically given a Senate seat in New York. No, 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 no way. And then Trump's in there and he's, you know, a lot of independent voters think he's just a loud mouth and you know, screaming all the time. It's like, no, no, we're done with this. We want somebody more calm. And then we get, you know, three years of 
craziness with high inflation and screwing up everything overseas, Afghanistan, all everything going on in Gaza, you know, and back here at home, like, you know, the absolute rainbow jihad agenda of Biden. And people are like, no. So I, I think 2024, uh, Biden is in a lot of trouble. And as you say, there are a lot of Democrats who are getting very nervous and they're like, what about having somebody else? Um, we should prepare ourselves for that possibility. But I still think, you know, Biden will say, look, I, the only guy who beat Trump, I did better than expected in our midterms. We, everyone thought the Republicans were going to take over. We kept the Senate and they won the House by the biggest sliver, tiniest sliver. And we just had a special election and he can say, I won in Ohio and, all these, and Virginia and all these other places. So ultimately, I think Democrats are going to hit, are, are going to kind of wish that he could be dislodged or, or just quit, but I think they're stuck with them. There you have it. So uh, that takes us to the mailbag section. And I do, like I say, I do appreciate when people email in and I read this one and I thought that it was worthy of us discussing on the podcast. So we're going to talk about it now. So shout out to Michelle. Uh, she emailed in and said, hi, thank you for your podcast. The piece on baby Indy was an important reminder and a warning cry that the rights of parents can be gradually chipped away while we're not paying attention. On this week's episode, there was some talk about civility and politics. While I appreciated many policies that President Trump enacted, both my husband and I are very troubled by his mean-spirited comments and personal attacks on people. I'd love to hear how Catholics reconcile his often unchristian behavior and lack of civility with the guidance that Christ gave us. Shouldn't we, as people of faith, also be holding him to a higher standard? Thanks, Michelle. I mean, should we hold people who claim to be Christian that aren't really that Christian to a higher standard? I mean, the thing is, I don't actually think Donald Trump's like, much of a Christian. Um, I think he's kind of a jerk a lot of times. Um, sometimes you need a jerk in politics to get things done, I guess. Um, but like this idea that do I defend him and some of his outrageous behavior? It's like, no, actually I've been more than honest over the last, you know, eight years or whatever saying, I think he's got a lot of moral flaws. Um, but you know, I, I'm not exactly sure what to say. Like, is there a is there someone running against him that's going to be more pro life, more pro family, and a better versatile character? I kind of think that's Ron DeSantis, so maybe I'll vote for him. But if Ron DeSantis, let's say, loses to Trump and Trump is the nominee and he goes up against Biden, then you've got two people who are actual, I think, morally compromised individuals, some more than others. Like Trump, it's like you know you're really kind of a jerk and you're kind of mean. And he's too proud to be like, yeah, you're probably right, which is what an honest person should do. <laughs> He'll just be like, whatever. Whereas Biden is just as much of a jerk. And, and that's why I hate the media. It's like, this is a guy who accused Mitt Romney, Mr. Plain Vanilla Utah Republican. He accused Mitt Romney of wanting to put black people back in chains. Now, this <laughs> is so bad. Joe Biden was, was vice so president bad. of the United States at the time, okay? And he was not saying that Mitt Romney was somehow putting forward some legislation that would somehow bring back segregation. He was saying he wants black people to be enslaved again. Like, are you out of your mind? And then he makes blue, he makes off-color jokes about other people's ethnicities. Joe Biden does, like, you know, talking about you can't go to a 7-Eleven without having someone with an Indian accent, you know? And like, I mean, is that the end of the world? No. But like, if a Republican said it, the media would lose their minds. And then when pro-lifers are like, how can you support abortion? He goes, 
if I hear that one more time, I'm going to grab their rosary, shove it down their throat. So this sounds like what a wonderful neighbor. Yeah, such the nicest guy ever. So, I mean, is this what we care about? Is this the ultimate thing? Is this the most important thing is how this guy, if he's a nice guy or not, or if it's like too mean, is he a jerk? I mean, you have Joe Biden who believes in that children should be removed from their parents' household and their genitals mutilated. That's, of course, if the kid survives abortion, which he's the biggest cheerleader there is. So it's like, are, what are we comparing? It's like, right. And I think that the part of the deception of the mainstream media in covering Joe Biden during that election, in covering Obama, also have this where they're like, oh, we're going to return dignity to politics. And they're so, they have this veneer, this facade of civility. But I think that Catholics, when they're looking at who am I going to vote for, the I mean, holding them to a higher standard, I don't really know what that means other than you're going to withhold your vote if they tweet mean tweets or something. But we're in a real world situation and looking at them as if there's this, oh, well, at least Obama didn't use cuss words like Javier Millet did. But did he really elevate civil discourse? Absolutely not. I mean, his He's policies horrible. that he enacted made our country worse we all have so many different opinions we come from different backgrounds and when we gather around for thanksgiving at the table even amongst family we have lots of different disagreements and so the understanding over the last five decades has been we need to be nice and civil to each other and don't yell at each other well first of all it was the left that decided to change things. You know, they started this whole revolution and and they are the ones who want to get rid of all the American institutions. They want to get rid of think Thanksgiving is bad. They want to they they don't want to pay their respects to the American flag during the national anthem, all this other stuff. So they're the disruptors, first of all. And then they're the ones you remember all these articles the last 10 years where they're like, here's how to talk to your Trump uncle and berate him for <laughs> believing in all this stuff. So they're right. always the ones that are mechanizing and trying to make things uncivil in the name of civility, which is just a bunch of crap. And for the longest time, conservatives have tried to be respectful and tried to take the high road and be civil as you know, their aunts start screaming at them, how could you support this guy? Trump is so bad, all this other stuff. It's like, you know what? Maybe it's time to turn things around and push back a little bit and say, enough of your crap. You're the one who voted for Biden. You're the one that's setting this country off and making people angrier and poorer and, you know, terrible. So I think it's time to say civility is, is it bad? Of course it's not bad. Civility is a good thing, but it's not the most important thing. There's so many more important things. Right. But I don't think civility inherent to itself is a virtue. Yeah. I think that we need to make a couple distinctions here because I think what Michelle was asking is specifically about political discourse. Like when we see politicians and and public figures throwing around swear words and cuss words at each other. That's what I'm guessing she's Personal insults. At. Personal insults, ad hominem attacks, et cetera. Now, Josh, you brought up like the family Thanksgiving table. And I think there is something to be said for maintaining civility with your family who disagree with you and taking the higher road, but not for at the, the expense, part. but not at the expense of truth, right? So yep. don't sit there and be like, gosh, I see your point. If they're saying something like women should be able to abort their children for any reason up till the moment of birth, you say, no, that's murder. And you could say it in a nice way. But 
You absolutely. Well, in my, in my extended family, it's my own mother who's the one that's using the shame. Yeah, I agree. And I think that each of us in our own family situations have to read the dynamics and discern like what is the level of pushback and obviously never at the expense of truth, right? Charity and truth. That's Pope Benedict's whole awesome encyclical that everyone should read. And I think that we as Catholics have to be very careful that in order to be like, oh, you know, this religion of nice that we have grown up with in so many of our parishes doesn't infect our uh, ourselves. It doesn't infect our discourse with those who are closest to us, because that's where politics happens in America. It's around the family table and it ought to be there. But I do think that when we're looking at public figures, um, you know, discord and discoursing no just throwing insults around on twitter or in debates and they seem nasty that we don't let that cloud our judgment and say oh that sounds that makes me uncomfortable the way he said that you have to actually stop and look at what they're saying look at what they're pushing back on with their opponents before you judge and say i could never support donald trump he's a nasty man charity and truth are virtuous those those are real virtues nice civil and comfortable, none of those three things are virtues. And for some reason, we've gotten in a society where all those three things are the biggest virtues. Jesus was murdered by all the most civil and uh, distinguished people of his time. He told people to their face things that made them uncomfortable, made them walk away. Uh, he flipped tables in the temple. He, he what? People get this concept of Jesus being this nice guy, like he just walked around being nice and that's what attracted Affirming him. Affirming everyone. No, yeah. he preached the truth at his own detriment. He died and was killed by all the most civil people of his age. Right. Being civil is conforming to your time. If you're living in a in an evil era, which we are which in a lot of are. ways, but if it, you're being civil in that era and conforming to it, then you are not living the truth. You should often, being a Christian, we're told many times, being a Christian, a true Christian, is going to get us martyred one day, either in our reputation or physically through death. So this idea that we should all be civil and nice, yes, you should pay respect to people when it's proper, but you should also speak in truth in other times. So I think a lot of times when Trump gets attacked or because it, this is something that always comes up with Trump is like, they he's standing in the way of them insulting you, right? If there was someone else that was pro-life as a politician, not saying Trump's, Trump's been I mean, he elected these pro-life uh, Supreme Court justices, but when another pro-life politician comes up, they're going to find ways to malign and slander him. They're going to make him seem uncivil. They're going to make him seem like an animal. It, it's happened so many times in history. It's going to continue to happen again. That shouldn't give you pause to be like, oh, wow, you know, the media said he wasn't very civil here or he personally attacked someone. It's like, well, is he standing in the truth or not? If he's standing in the truth, then you should vote for those policies that uphold the truth. It's like we need to break through this. The calls for civility to kind of annoy me. Um, yeah. So nicely, we have uh, we have Giving Tuesday on the eve of Giving Tuesday. Uh, Josh, what would you like to say about Giving Tuesday? Overall, I think Giving Tuesday is a great idea. I mean, we had so much commercialization of Christmas and, and Giving Tuesday is a great way for people to take a step back and say, this is actually a season in preparation for the birth of our Savior. And so let's set aside some of this madness of commercialization and give back to organizations that are trying to do good for the country and for the world. And here at Catholic Vote, obviously, we rely on the donations of, of supporters like you, and we're hoping that we can make a better country and a better society here at home by getting more people to sign up for the loop. We think it's a great resource for all Catholics. I know so many of you have listened to uh, the Loopcast and you read the loop every day and you like what it's done. 
if you think the loop is good for you, let's get it in the hands of a million loopers. Imagine one million Catholics reading the loop. I love it. So this Giving Tuesday, we're asking for people to support this campaign and let's, you know, fire in all cylinders and spread the truth. That was off top. There was no ad, ad read there. That was just from the heart. So Josh, thank you for that one. Teen mental health. Okay. So if we are, uh, we're all visiting family over Thanksgiving and there's something you may notice amongst teenage members of your families, they might be on their phones. They might be a little isolated, maybe a little socially awkward. And according to the stats, what do you mean? Surprise you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's Josh. Right. Josh in the was loop. never socially awkward as a teenager. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, oh, I was, but we didn't have cell phones back then. So <laughs> this is this is you true. You just had to sit there. <laughs> Josh just had to destroy people with facts and logics about about history. Um. So yeah, in 2021, 44% of high schoolers were feeling sad or hopeless, and suicide is now the <laughs> second leading cause of death among children 10 to 14 years old, which is really shocking. Yeah. Uh, and I came across this article that I felt was worth talking about, and it is about teenagers and mental health treatment, but specifically how this ecosystem has popped up where we live in a culture now that is very, uh, what's, the, what's, what's the right word, Erica? Cause we like to categorize everything. Atomized, we like to put everything yeah, in like nice little buckets. Almost like itemizing mental health and having that kind of be people's identity so right. for example with someone that has anxiety they're like well i'm i have anxiety so i can't do x instead mm -hmm. of saying this makes me anxious so that's why i'm a little nervous about it it's a really it's a subtle but big shift in how you view yourself and so this author actually she has she had an autism diagnosis herself but she's kind of talking about how this means less and less to her as she's gone along and kind of noticed this shift where everything's become categorized so whenever she talks to someone she's like as someone with autism yada 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 then you give your take instead of just saying this is my take um so i thought it was interesting i know you guys are both parents to teenagers here um what did this article uh, really speak to you yeah i think i really zeroed in here on the author giving sort of reason so so the the kickoff for the article were these three massive studies that just came out on uh, it was following teens in Australia and the United Kingdom who were put into these social emotional learning health classes in their school system that utilize TikTok, that utilize sort of like you know relationships to diagnose your problems, get in touch with your feelings, and understand why you feel the way you feel, and that students coming out of these they're called social emotional learning programs, SEO program, SEL programs actually experienced more depression, more anxiety, more suicidal thoughts than students Ugh. who were just in regular health classes, which alone, high school Ruh -ruh. health classes are very depressing. But when you focus the kids solely on emotional issues, they feel like they have. And again, like these are 13 to 18 year olds, like hormone city, they have social emotional issues. This is part of life and natural development. But when you focus them intensely on diagnosing their problems, turns out they tend to wallow in their problems and start to think, I am my anxiety. And like you said, Tom, I, I think one of the, the key articulations she made of this was instead of a teenager saying, I have anxiety about, let's, let's make it simple. Let's make it not hot topic. I have anxiety about my spelling test. They turn it into, I am a bad speller and I always will be. And they just, that's who I am. That's my identity. And they give up trying because I have anxiety I have about a, my spelling. I have a condition. Yeah. Right. I can't spell because I have anxiety. 
And and of course, like that applies much more drastically to things like sexual identity or uh, relationship with your parents or like your addiction to social media because it's highly addictive and teens are addicted. And um, I, I think that for me, that just the the lack of adults in so many kids' lives, these were thousands of students, but all of these kids going through these studies, the lack of adults who were willing to say, yeah, you're nervous about your math test. Let's go switch to math. I think a lot of us identify with that. I'm not a math person because we come out of school, we got B's and C's in math, and we just like, our teachers are like, well, you're just not a math student. Not me. Yeah. Oh, not you. That's right. My dad, my dad was a math teacher. Shout out to my well, dad. Hey, not go dad. That. Yeah. <laughs> instead of, so instead of like having adults in their lives who see, okay, you have this sort of underlying anxiety about this issue. Let's find tools to help you overcome that problem. And maybe you won't be like the next, I don't know, Stephen Hawking or Rene Descartes with your calculus, but you can overcome issues with math. And here's some different tools we can, the lack of adults in their lives who are willing to get these kids out of this. It's just, it's so tragic. And a lot of these SEO programs are utilizing tools like TikTok out of Harvard Medical School. <laughs> They're like, we can help fix the problem with these teens by getting them TikTok influencers. Oh my like, gosh. These, are, these no. are problems that require a relationship and time. And if the parents can't do it, we, I mean, yeah, if parents can't do it, it's a lost cause, but you okay, got to so what I what I teed off on this in terms of this article was that they they tell all these students about, here's how to diagnose all these problems, all these disorders. And so all these kids are thinking about it more and they're like, do I have this problem or do I have that problem or what about this problem? And they're thinking about it and thinking about it. And it reminded me of D.A.R.E., Drug Abuse yes. Resistance Education. Okay. So this was a program in the 1980s and 90s. It was so big that I was by the time at its it was at still its going, height, still going. Seventy-five percent of American school districts had Dare, and it was funded by the federal government. I had a backpack. Okay, and they would have these <laughs> poli you know police officers coming on there and talking about all the dangers of all these different drugs. And what happened is kids were like, oh wow, drugs. drugs. That does this. And <laughs> That's that where it that. stopped and, for them, right? Oh my gosh! And so right. like, <laughs> what happens? Dare is almost nowhere right now because they did a bunch of studies. They found out like talking to kids about all the things that d drugs does. And what happened is that kids started going, hmm, maybe I'll start doing <laughs> drugs. So the number of people that did drugs went up. And, and conservatives were saying, hey, you know, it kind of also applies with regards to sex education. Let's have a bunch of say, yeah. people talk about sex and all the different ways you can do this. And if and again, it's the typical white suburban stupidness where they're like, let's talk about sex so we can make sure you don't get pregnant because that would ruin your future and babies are a way to ruin your future. And so, but they talk about all these other ways you can, you know, have recreational sexual activity that won't result in a baby and all this stuff. And so the kids are like, huh. And so what happens? People have more promiscuous sex. So to me, the answer here is not to dwell on all this stuff. Yes, there are some kids who do need mental health stuff and find out help that they need for it. But don't say, here's all these different symptoms and problems because then they're going to be like, hmm, maybe I'll have that. Maybe I have this. Maybe, you know. 
Well, and I think our system, our system now, because we've had this sort of, you know, inculcation of Marxism, there's, there's a certain privileging of victims and it's just the willful ignorance on how the teen mind works drives me bonkers because you give them, they're like, here's all of these problems and ways that you too could be special and be a victim. Pick which one matches your predilections. How long are we going to last as a society it. if we glorify victimhood this much? It's a total lack of love and, Come and, on, people. and Be number focus one. on these children, right? This is a bunch of adults who came up through D.A.R.E., who everybody got a trophy, and now they're in charge of our educational institutions. And this is just self, this is so selfish on the part of these adults and it's social manipulation of kids at their most vulnerable. Can I just tell one story? That's why I tell a story. You're, the dare thing really got me going, Josh. I love this. <laughs> so in my high school, and actually the middle school as well, in my high school, they not only had dare, but they had something called peer education. And these would be like the brightest and best students. They would go through the drug and the sex ed. And then the idea was peer educators would come into the classrooms and they would educate their peers on sex blind, and drugs. Blind, man. Are you insane? And these kids with the exception of maybe my husband was involved in this. But these kids <laughs> became the kids at the high school who were the most sexually active, <laughs> experimenting with marijuana, drinking at parties. they're talking about it all the and time. And you're just like, you're like exactly. Because, well, you know, they they knew all about it. They knew how to get the stuff. And it was, it was just mind-boggling to like watch this train wreck during my four years of public high school. And this was even before it was really bad, but. Anyway, All that's right. my dare story. Woo. So on the mental health thing, though, I mean, that is a big concern because, you know, especially with the pandemic and in many places, the kids were away from their peers for like two some years. And so mental health is a big problem. There are people by their nature that handle the pandemic a little bit easier. Like for me, I live in the middle of nowhere right away, so it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> but there's some people who are very social animals and they love to meet a lot of people and it was harder for them. And there are more problems with that. And so we need to be open and looking for people who have concerns about mental health. I, I have someone who's had mental health problems in the past. I, I suffered from depression when I was 10. Um, I also had uh, other bouts with it, even into adulthood. Before I got married, I think marriage has been good for me. I think marriage is good for a lot of people. Um, and I remember after I had co- uh, converted back to the Catholic faith when I was about 22 or whatever, I didn't necessarily make everything wonderful. And people like, I was known for being a loud atheist at Hillsdale. And so when I converted, it was- <laughs> Really? Yeah. You loud? I was loud, atheist? yes. Crazy. <laughs> I was loud. And so when I converted, it was like huge news on campus. I was very excited by that. Like, oh, Sent yeah, shockwaves so through the community? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, people, it was like answer to prayers because I was like the most obnoxious <laughs> guy ever. You know, Josh, it was like- you, you remind me, you, can I just say, <laughs> you remind me of Evil and Wah. So not because like you write great books or anything like don't get me wrong, but this is how oh, you remind me of Evil and Wah. You will someday. But um, <laughs> he, so someone came up to him after he converted and they're like, you're not a very good advertisement for Catholicism because you're just kind of loud and obnoxious and you're mean. And and he said, but can you imagine how much worse I would be if I wasn't Catholic? <laughs> <laughs> this is it. He's my patron. This is good. Hey. No. And, and so- Everyone loved it on the campus. He was like, oh, gosh, the answer to prayers. I mean, people would spontaneously Josh just will be like, nice mercy. now. Like, Jesus. Oh, wait. No, that, was wrong. that was wrong. Yeah, he'll be civil. <laughs> but not so. Anyway, so, but the thing is, it still didn't necessarily, I mean, converting, I do think converting to Christianity was 
helpful, obviously, to me in my soul. It didn't necessarily eliminate other problems. Like, you know, we're still marred by sin. I, you know, use the sacraments to go to confession, stuff like that. But, you know, mental health is a big concern. People should be trying to look out for other people and pick them up. Um, I had a parent come to me. I had helped out someone in youth group back. This was 2006. You know, I just thought, he goes, he still talks about you. He still thank you. And I'm like, really? I mean, this was like 17 years ago. He goes, yeah, no, you really made a difference in his life. And I'm like, I mean, I'm humbled by that there, but for the grace of God, go I. Like, you know, all power to the Holy Spirit. It's not like, it. so I had still some things I had to work through and work out on. Now, I think mental health is a big thing. I remember after I converted though, I thought to myself, every, every all the advice we normally get from society today is full of garbage. And so if I'm feeling kind of depressed, I would call it like a recession. I wasn't fully depressed, recession instead of depression. Ha ha. I thought, what did Christians do in the past, you know, as opposed to all the modern gobbledygook? And I read that when it came to like um, a monastery, he had a group of monks. And if one monk was super depressed, they would say, it's possible actually he's just doing too much interior, like self criticism and focus way too much on his own self. So you need to help him devoid himself of that and get him thinking outward. And so they had put him to work instead of like, you just give him time over here to, to, to be with himself mm -hmm. and to think through. No, no, no. Me time. No. No, you don't need In me fact, time. In <laughs> fact, work harder. Get out there and work even more hard and, and help and put him to work and helping other people. And all of a sudden, he'll think less of himself and more of others. Now, that's not a cure-all for everything. I'm not trying to undermine things. But I'm just saying sometimes today, people are depressed because they're, they're not happy with their current station in life. And if they actually put themselves in service of other people, it'll actually probably make them a lot better. I do think that's the case for a lot of people. If, if we have listeners who can give us suggestions, things that we could share with people that would be helpful um, to kind of ground ourselves, you know, I would think in more Catholic-based understanding of how to just, you know, fight mental illness or, or not, you know, like the, the dumps or whatever, depression, that kind of stuff. Share it with us, you know, send us an email. Uh. Yeah, I wanted to just drop. So, you know, something that really helped me, I struggled with postpartum depression after a few of my pregnancies and it's a real thing. And one of the resources that really helped me was uh, Father Benedict Brichel's May He Rest in Peace. He had a, a book called Light in the Darkness that, you know, you know, you're looking. You're looking for help when you're in a place like that, and a lot of the psychiatrists, psychologists, like you said, Tom, are are straight out of the culture, and so it's hard to find good help. And if you're in a, if you're not in a place where there's a, a Catholic resource, that book was was really helpful for me to just kind of reorient my thinking. It pulls a lot from the monastic tradition that Josh was talking about. Yeah, and I'll, I'll drop that in the show notes. But yeah, we'd love to hear from you because a lot of people really do struggle with legit mental health. Um, and it's important. What's to, the email address again, Tom? Shout it out. Loopcast at CatholicVote.org. Let us know. We'd love to help share those resources because as you're hearing about on the podcast, I mean, everyone goes through it. So I think the key too is just connecting people with good professionals, especially good Catholic professionals, and trying to safeguard yourself from a lot of the uh, social media feeds that are going to push things that are not going to be good for you. And keep your kids off um, smartphones. Yeah. I mean, that just seems like the most obvious thing after reading this is like, my kids are never going to be able to touch, not not in these impressionable <laughs> ages. 
uh, get advice from some whack job on TikTok or whatever, uh, telling them that there are all these different sexualities and that they have all these different problems. I'm like, I don't need that garbage in their head. Um, you need to talk with someone that knows you, that understands reality. And that's why the role of parenthood and fatherhood is so important. And I feel very strongly about that. Anyway, we move now into the twilight zone. Uh, it looks like I'm up first. This is something that I think we had someone email in about actually. And I, I'm actually not really completely sure how I feel about it. So, uh, hello, the prayer app, which, uh, by all accounts that I've heard, have done a great job with keeping people accountable with daily prayer. They are kind of known for working with Mark Wahlberg, who, uh, is a pretty prominent Catholic, seems to be living a pretty good life from my estimation. So they are now partnering with Liam Neeson. So Liam Neeson, is, you might know him from a few different places, maybe Aslan uh, or maybe uh, Taken. Uh, a lot of different roles. Or if you're really old, Schindler's List. Schindler's List. He's been around the block. He's got a beautiful Irish accent. Uh, he said that, I, I believe he's, he says that he's Catholic or was Catholic. And his, his mom was Catholic and he admires people that have a genuine faith. He's working with the Halo app, and it seems like he's excited about the prospect of getting back to prayer. He said he really admires C.S. Lewis. Um, however, it has to be said, he has done a few things that give you pause. One being he, was, he voiced an ad to keep uh, abortion, to bring abortion back to Ireland in 2015. And it was, it was the imagery used in it was very anti-Catholic. Uh, there's no other way to put it. Uh, he would had to. Well, the biggest thing, the biggest problem with it is that he was he was supporting. Abortion. He lent his voice. He was supporting to it. Correct. He was supporting abortion there in 2015. He also just like you too. Very, just like you too. He took a very prominent role as Alfred Kinsey. And for those of you unfamiliar with Alfred Kinsey, he is responsible for all of the sexual revolution garbage that we experience today. I, there's no other way to put it. He was a, not single handedly, but he was a major pretty player. dang close. He was up there. He was the research guy at the University of Indiana that gave all the backing for it, so-called scholarly his grave, backing for it. His grave's still at University of Indiana. Uh, there's a center based after him. He was, but at the time when he was around public enemy number one, be, well, partially because he was molesting children for his study. He was uh, sexually promiscuous with his research subjects. Uh, he was, by all accounts, a very demented, twisted individual. However, he's been kind of lionized in recent time as one of the first people to explore human sexuality. Uh, often that's as far as it goes, because if you dig any deeper than that, you see that this guy was a total creep and is responsible for a lot of garbage we see today. So Liam Neeson happily played that role uh, when he was a young man. And I, movie, I was right? reading up on like, how could you have taken, especially as a Catholic or Catholic adjacent, like, why would you choose to lionize this individual? And there was even people at the time when this movie was made where Liam, they're like, why would, because Liam Neeson is, of course, handsome guy, great voice. Alfred Kinsey, by all accounts, was kind of a sickly man. Uh, they're like, why would you choose to portray him with someone like this, where he's going to look heroic, he's going to look great. And uh, Liam Neeson didn't really have great answers. He's like, you know, this is a role you just put on the coat and you take it off when you're done, but really interesting guy. I don't want to portray that. So is it hard? I feel like it's hard for me to separate that from seeing him on the Halo app and prayer. Although I do want to, of course, have forgiveness if if this is a genuine conversion. I would like to be supportive of that, but I don't know where I feel about it. Maybe the Twilight Zone is like, you know, of course, Liam Neeson, he was Qui-Gon Jinn. If I'm Halo, I would not have put him on the app, even with him doing the Kinsey movie. 
Because like you do the Kinsey movie, I still wouldn't put him on the app, but I could almost see a reason, I guess, because like, well, he's just playing a role. The fact that he supported publicly abortion in Ireland is a deal breaker, bro. I love, I mean, the Hello app has been helpful to a lot of people. I have it. I think it's kind of interesting, but that is a major misfire by Hello. I get that they're trying to do celebrities to try to get people in. And, you know, Mark Wahlberg and, you know, they had the guy who played Jesus in the Jonathan Rumi. Uh, TV yeah. series. Yeah. Uh, chosen or whatever chosen. i think that's that's good i wish hallow would have continued with those kind of things but not Liam neeson not unless he publicly recanted his support for abortion if he doesn't then dude that's not that's no good and the difference between and i have to bring up because mark Wahlberg, of course has a colored past in terms of that's what i'm saying childhood. right with the movie but, but like, it yeah. seems like it seems like after you know father stew he's co- very publicly making the sign of the cross talking about being catholic he's been very apologetic of his past that's the difference right he's promoted there confession, needs to be a public right. yeah there needs to be a public conversion. Yeah, big difference. And I think I just have a sort of hesitancy about the whole praying with celebrities thing. It's kind of like, you know, start when priests, instead of quoting doctors of the church or saints who have actually been canonized, they're quoting guys who are still around and kicking. And you're just like, I, I don't know, not that you can like record with St. Augustine because obviously he's dead, but <laughs> I'm just saying that <laughs> the whole like, Hallow is a very slick model again very helpful to a lot of people their advertising is amazing i mean on my phone when we pull up i pull up facebook and i'm scrolling and like oh there's jonathan Rumi, and and right when it's about he's like i know you're busy but pray with me and he makes the sign of the cross and you like feel guilty to keep scrolling because you're like oh um jesus is saying making the sign of the cross so but (laughs) but i do think like you said josh the liam neeson thing was was a big misstep on their part and um you're already flirting with disaster by having celebrities (laughs) do your prayers but um yeah hopefully hopefully this is a a one-off for them and they can they can pull back a little bit yeah so reach i i i've i've been interact with people from hollow hello myself uh so you can reach out to hello and and maybe voice your displeasure here because i think hello is doing a great service but i think it's important for us to to hold people hold them accountable for uh the public nature of what's going on there so anyway that's that's for me josh what's up or actually no erica's next oh yeah i'm next well there were so many choices it was really hard to narrow this one down uh, but this is a personal, this is a little, a little personal here. So many of you might remember we packed our oldest child off to college and it was, it was a difficult, uh, transition for us. We're sending her away and she's been a great friend to us, great support, just a great overall person. And you finally get a, a child to the point where you're like, gosh, I really like this young adult who's in my life. And then they, then they leave <laughs> and they go to school and we're very happy where she is, Hillsdale. And but we were so disappointed that we just we were like, you know, I think we need a replacement. So <laughs> two weeks before I send my oldest child to college and my youngest is turning four and a half, five, we found out I'm pregnant. So I was told I have to be cute about this announcement. That's as cute as I get because being pregnant is no joke when you're 42. <laughs> who, who, who told you you had to be cute about it? You did, Pogo. <laughs> what did you, I say? That? You said that. <laughs> Is this where I'm supposed to fake my surprise at the announcement? Because yeah. I've been acutely no. aware that everyone, this, is, yeah, everyone at Catholic Vote is acutely aware that I should, am pregnant. They should make it's all of Erica's me. like. Do you understand how much America does or Erica does for this podcast? All the interviews <laughs> she's she's helped with all the show notes. She gets in every Thursday, regardless of her condition. 
I mean, which it's, was it's not insane. pretty back in September, October. I'm not great at being pregnant. I, I the, the babies are great, but I have a hard time first trimester. So I do have to thank Tom and Mercer. You guys, you you put no, up with thank my. You. <laughs> well, Crazy. thanks. We're very excited. We're really grateful. Um, you know, if everything goes well, this will be our seventh child here on Earth, and six was great, five was alive, but seven is heaven. So we're we're very grateful to God for for this little caboose that we're expecting hashtag pray for erica hashtag um although you did kind of you did kind of blow the announcement in the eric sammons interview for anyone that's listened to that yeah so if you did listen to eric sammons if you haven't you really should because that was an amazing conversation he blew my mind and uh but yeah i did i did blow it a little bit there uh number a little bit of a soft launch of the new child there but uh yeah so if you (laughs) haven't listened to that one and you're driving on thanksgiving you want more to listen to uh eric sammons interview was fantastic uh, it's a really good, it's an interesting way of understanding papal authority. I, I learned a lot, so go check that one out. But hey, pray for Erica. Everyone, please pray for Erica. Pray for the baby. Safe pregnancy. Uh, what a blessing. Oh, and fun. You, Everyone Erica. wants to know, do you know if it's a boy or a girl? We do. We have five daughters. We have one son who's right smack dab in the middle, 10. And we are having our second boy. So... Xavier, the 10-year-old, he is very yes. excited. <laughs> he said his reaction when he found out was, I've waited 10 years for this moment. <laughs> He's getting his brother. Praise God. Let's go. Awesome. All right, Josh, what you got? Well, Erica actually had worked with uh, on the report, uh, Catholics for Choice report that we did. And there was that um, time if you'll remember about a year or two ago where they took a blasphemous message and they broadcast it on the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C., where they- Yeah, Joshua, are you going to buy one of their stickers that says Mary had a choice and so do you? It's their recent holiday merch. They are vile. So that was the message that they broadcasted on a church. Well, what happened in Brazil? They decided to broadcast a message- on the statue of Christ the Redeemer overlooking the mountains, you know. What was the message, you think? It was uh, welcoming American singer Taylor Swift to their country. Uh, <laughs> hashtag fail. Yeah, I'm not so sure Jesus is a Swifty, but <laughs> I really don't think that's the message he wants on that statue. So that has to be just the cultural imprint of Catholicism. Like, do they even really think of that statue as Jesus at this point? Because I mean, they put soccer me, jerseys on them and like, I know Brazil is Catholic, but I don't know how much like, okay, they actually are. I would almost excuse the soccer jersey because it's like, Ooh. you know, they want Jesus to be, they, Jesus is a part of their culture. The soccer is a part of their culture. Jesus loves soccer. Like, oh, uh, uh, tacky? Yes. <laughs> but I'm like, I roll my eyes, whatever. But a message welcoming Taylor Swift, which, who, by the way, railed against pro-life uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn because Taylor Swift supports abortion. So, yeah, give me a break. I mean, this is so silly. It's like, first of all, just let the statue be the statue in general. Yes, I right. agree with that. It's a beautiful statue. It's stunning. It's awesome. Overlooking the city. Yeah, it's a, it's Amazing. a world-renowned landmark. People think of that statue. They think of Brazil, right. and you're gonna you're gonna throw a t-shirt bastardize on it. it for yeah. a message welcoming T Swift. 
Yeah. You could do Everyone, better, Brazil. Everyone's all about like anti-imperialism. I was like, for me, that was just an icon of America's cultural imperialism. <laughs> it's like, sorry, Brazilian Jesus. Taylor's in town. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is Jesus Christ king of Brazil or is, you know, Taylor Swift the queen? I you know, hate, I hate even giving this any breath, but, you know, she's, she's dating a player in the Chiefs. And the only Mr. compelling Pfizer, thing yeah. that... Mr. Mr. Pfizer and her make a great couple, but the only thing I found compelling about that is someone put together a lengthy argument for if they have a kid that it could potentially uh, like domino effect save our birth rate. And they like went through all the numbers of potentially how it could happen and how it impact our G- GDP and it could save America. So because the Swifties hey. would say, "I want to become moms too." Is that exactly. what the idea is? Yeah, basically, like it's it's uh, like. Th- the amount of I'm not holding following my that they have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't buy the argument because when the 90s, we had Beckham and Posh Spice and they ended up having like three or four kids and that has- I'm not sure it helps us out. Yeah. I watched the documentary. I watched yeah, the documentary on them. Right. Fascinating. Yeah. It was so interesting. It was really, really talk, interesting. Talk about like the fanaticism of soccer in England being on a whole nother level. People wanted to murder him for a good six months. Uh, yeah. Yeah, crazy. Because he went that to was a good play for soccer for the United States. No, because he uh, missed a, or he got a red card in the World Cup against Argentina, funny enough. And it Full was circle. for, it was kind of a, it wasn't a, a super necessary card? penalty. Red card, yes, which meant he got kicked out of the game, meaning they had to play with 10 players instead of 11. And so England ended up losing. Everything about soccer just makes me want to throw up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you chose. You chose. Don't uh, alienate the fans, Mercer. Oh. Although you'd be fine with Jesus with a Brazil jersey on. Interesting. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm fine with it. I guess I'm just like I get it. <laughs> like it's not the end of the world, but although it does seem tacky. like Jesus, it does seem like Jesus is a Lions fan this season. Oh. Not to not to rub any salt in wounds of other NFC North opponents. Uh, Lions are in too, so we could we'll be see what happens. Pretty good. Pretty good February is all I gotta say. Anyway, uh, that does it for this week's Loopcast. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, this is kind of a Thanksgiving episode, so we have all said things that we're very grateful for. I'm grateful for you guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast, for supporting us, for sending in suggestions, emails, comments, subscribes, likes, all that good stuff. But I think the, the thing that I'm most grateful for is when, you set out to, when we set out to make a podcast, I was thinking about who I was making it for, and I was, gonna, I was really curious about who would end up listening. And it just turned out to be some of the best people I've ever met. I mean, a lot of people that have recognized me or come up and talked to me are just total salt of the earth, good Catholic Americans, people that want to uh, make their country better and live live out their faith really in public. And so it's been so cool to kind of gather those people in and I just get to talk to them pretty much every Thursday, Tuesday, and then any comments, anything like that. So grateful for them, grateful for my co-hosts, grateful for you, Josh. Even if we're not civil sometimes, but I'm grateful for you, Erica. Super grateful for you doing this, especially while being pregnant. Huge, uh, that's a huge lift for you. So I'm I'm so grateful for you guys. We haven't we keep we're keeping the band together. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna keep these episodes ripping. So yeah, that's my piece. That's what I'd say around the Thanksgiving table of the podcast. Right, but past the turkey. Yeah, <laughs> I want my stuffing. So excited. Yeah. Oh, is that is that this this part of the podcast? You have to say your favorite oh, things. I love food? stuffing. I love my <laughs> stuffing. I have to say. Oh, do, what do you or do? You have like a oh special yeah. Recipe? I've got the sausage, green apples, sage with French bread. I have I have very little cranberries. 
Josh yeah. is looking hungry right now. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> I'm going to eat so much because I can eat whatever I want this Thanksgiving. This is true. <laughs> yeah, you're eating for two. Josh, your favorite Thanksgiving food? I like meat. So turkey, everything. <laughs> Bring it. Let's go. Heck yeah. yeah. Meat guy. Give me a big turkey leg. Respect. What about you, Pogo? What do you like? Uh, Sweet potato? I, just, I like gravy on stuff. Gravy, like gravy on gravy. stuff? Gravy on pretty much anything works for me. So like, I'm a big gravy guy. So looking forward to sharing that with my family. And I hope you're with all of your families. Good luck on the drive. If you're listening to it, stay safe. Uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe, St. Fidelis, St. Thomas More, pray for us. And we will see you next week. Bye, guys.